Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You know, I'm not going to say that there haven't been days where I've shed a tear. I have. Um, I've wept um, for the loss. I've wept for the hardship that so many people um, are suffering. But I know that they rely upon me to stand up, pick myself up, and get back into the fight. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with us today is Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Welcome. Uh, It's my pleasure. I was afraid you were going to yell at me to stay home, but I am home. (laughs) Well, I can't verify that since I can't see you, but I'll take your word for it that you're staying home. Your tough love brusona comes naturally. What do you summon to, uh, to get that? Well, you know, look, I, I, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, the advice that I got early on um, and when thinking about running for office is just to be your authentic self. You know, I, I, I like everybody, is, I have a multifaceted personality, but I think, you know, in this really uh, difficult time, um, it's important for people to, to believe that their leaders are steady and thoughtful and empathetic. Um, and I hope that I'm succeeding in uh, portraying all of those things. Um, but obviously, I also have a, a sense of humor, a la the various memes um, and ones we put out, but then also the ones that I've I've enjoyed. But, you know, you've got to strike, I think, the right balance and appropriate tone, um, you know, particularly when you contrast it with what we uh, too often see at the national level. I'm just trying to be who I am, which is strong and steady. Now, you are re- uh, releasing some guidelines for the return to some semblance of normal life. From what I can tell, it looks very much in line with what Governor Pritzker has outlined. You're going to have a survey of the public, for example. And the mm-hmm. difference here is that you are going to you're going on a 14 day cycle, not a 28 day cycle. Why is that? Well, the 14 days comes from the kind of gestation period, from the time of symptoms of with COVID to um, when typically it runs its course in an individual. I think that's the, the guidance that's been followed uh, for some time now. It's certainly consistent with um, the CDC guidance, and we think that that makes sense. And, and, and so in the arc the of this virus, 28 days is a very long time. And so is the governor moving too slowly between phases, do you think? You know, I, I can't say that he's moving too slowly. I mean, we're, we're both, as are all leaders across the, the, the state and the, and, the, and the country, trying to make sure that we're guided by the science and the data um, and really letting that 
um, dictate um, how and when we move. You know, everybody is anxious to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, certainly this is, um, uh, you know, fueled by the fact that we're um, coming into summer, although today we're supposed to get some snow flurries, so typical Chicago. Um, but, you know, as the days get longer and the sun is shining brightly, there's an anxiousness that comes in all of us uh, who've gone through a, a tough time in a winter uh, to get um, back outside and enjoy um, Chicago and all of its splendor in the warm weather. And I certainly understand that, but we're not at a point yet where we feel like we can just pretend that the last eight weeks haven't happened. And if, I know that if we did that, it would it would um, result in, I think, fairly catastrophic um, results. You know, we've got to continue to monitor, as we do every single day, uh, the case rate, um, while the, the, the doubling of the cases has certainly flattened out, we started at two to three, we're now at about 15 to 16 days, um, we're still increasing. We're not decreasing yet. Um, we still have people that are in ICU beds uh, with uh, testing positive for COVID or people under investigation for having COVID. Now, again, that number and that percentage is starting to go down and leveling, which is a good sign, um, but we're not out of the woods yet. Um, hospital capacity overall, we want to make sure that hospital system um, is stable and that we have plenty of room in the event that there's a surge. We got to focus on testing capacity and building that up. We're now averaging about 3,000 tests per day in Chicago. We need to get that up um, to a much higher level. Percent positivity, um, that's something that we also are focused on, meaning we want the number of people who are testing positive, that percentage to um, go down. It's gone down a little, but not enough. Um, and there's other factors that we um, obviously have to have in place. Sam Toy of the Illinois Restaurant Association, the president of that organization, who will stand with you, mm -hmm. um, is saying that the governor is moving too slowly. He wants the authorization to open at 25% capacity on June 1st and move between phases every 14 days um, because he says that the restaurants are not going to make it until the end of June, and that we may lose as many as 45% of the restaurants that are the heart and soul of Chicago. Can you imagine? Do you agree with him? Well, well look, I've been talking to Sam and, and other restaurateurs, small and large, throughout the course of this pandemic. And of course, we're greatly concerned about the impact on them, the impact on their, their workers. Um, and we're going to continue to engage in dialogue with them. And thinking about restaurants, again, we have to be guided by the science. And I think, and I, and I know that Sam and others understand that. Um, but we also know that this industry is highly regulated. Um, there's a lot of smart and able people um, that are the restaurateurs in our city. And we are going to listen um, and have a dialogue, continued dialogue with them about what plans they can put in place to keep their workers safe and to keep patrons safe. And we're also looking at examples from around the country. Now, I may quibble with whether or not uh, other places um, that have opened up are doing it wisely based upon um, what the, the um, case and other uh, metrics in those um, places show. But we're watching very closely to see what the examples are across the country and really across the world um, that, that opening up and doing it in a way that is safeguarding employees 
employees and safeguarding customers. So that's the kind of dialogue that we've been in, um, not just with the restaurant industry, but other industries um, across our city, different sectors across our city. This is about the economy, but it's also about the social fabric of our city and making sure that we do things in a way that we can revitalize um, and revive our neighborhoods. So do you support his idea of the 25% capacity opening on June 1st and then moving up from there every 14 days? I've seen the reporting on that, but I think that we have to do a lot more discussion. Um, we're not at a point yet um, in our discussions or really in the arc of this pandemic where we can lay down hard and fast rules over um, in, by any sector. That's what the Recovery Task Force is about, is to get that information, think about what um, best practices should be, um, and then work with um, sector leaders uh, to come up with plans that make sense based upon the data, that make sense based upon the kind of business type. You know, even within the restaurant industry, there's a variety of different restaurants. There's a walk-up hot dog stands. There's a big formal sit-down restaurant. There's a restaurants that have the family tables. So it's not one size fits all. And we have to make sure that we are in very close contact and dialogue with them as we have been uh, before we can make um, any decisions about opening. So that discussion is ongoing. Now, the O'Hare expansion plan, travel industry Mm -hmm. analysts have told us that it has to be slowed down and scaled back, that the airlines are bleeding right now, that they you need to renegotiate the airline use and lease agreements to terms more favorable to them and scale back the expansion, even though it is a big public works project to something that they can afford, something that's reasonable for them. Are you going to do that? Mm Well, we've been in contact with uh, the airlines um, and the airline um, uh, airport partners uh, really from the very beginning, and you're 100% right. Um, Airline industry, the travel industry has just been decimated. That's why we supported uh, the $65 billion uh, request that they uh, made to Congress. And we're going to continue uh, to work with them to figure out ways in which we can help them um, get up from their knees. I mean, they are in dire, dire straits. Now, remember that part of the funding for O'Hare expansion already happened. There's there's bonds that were let uh, a few years back. So some of that only design two billion work. Or, and, and, only about $2 billion of it, though. Yeah. Or, well, so, so you say only. You say only two billion. Two billion is a lot of money, Fran. Um, So some of that work. So let me just finish. Some of that work obviously will continue to proceed, but certainly uh, the full funding of that is based upon performance um, and funding from airlines. So we're going to be working with them to figure out what makes sense on a on a given the 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 current realities um, in that industry. And so, how but we're certainly not going to we're certainly not going to stop um, the progress. But you're going to slow it down and maybe <clears throat> extend it out and maybe do a little less, right? Well, look, there's there's a lot of options on the table. We're going to do that in partnership and in dialogue uh, with our airline partners. Um, and right now, it's too soon to be able to predict what that's going to look like. So you threw out a lot of options there. I'm not biting on any of them. What I'm saying is we are going to continue um, the ongoing discussion that we have with our airline partners. We've been working with them uh, to try to give them as much relief as possible And what is probably one of the most devastating uh, economic downturns for the airline industry, maybe in its history. 
But do you acknowledge that they can no longer afford the plan as originally <clears throat> conceived, the $8.7 billion, which included a big global alliance terminal and all these no, other bells and no, whistles? No, I, 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 don't, I don't think we're there yet in our discussions with them. Um, we, we will make sure that we do things that make economic sense for them and for us. Um, but we're not um, at a point where we're tearing up the, uh, the blueprints on what the plan is. We're just not there and we're going to continue um, the design work that um, has to happen no matter what. Are you going to renegotiate their airline lease and use agreements, which bankroll the whole thing? Well, there's, there are complicated um, reasons why uh, we have not um, and will not be able to do that, um, but we certainly have been working with them on a number of other, other things that I think are providing them with some space to breathe. Now, you've repeatedly refused to project the shortfall because you don't want to put out an estimate and then have it be too low and have to revise it upward. Uh, yeah. And you've said to the extent possible that you want to and part, of, and part of the reason for that, Fran, is because the situation is still unbelievably fluid. And a lot of it depends on when we reopen, who reopens, um, what the revenue stream is from the businesses that um, do reopen. It, this is this is not um, simple math. It's very, very complicated um, and it's fluid. So we want to put something out that we can stand behind. We've done a lot of modeling and projections. That work is ongoing. Um, and um, you know me, I'm a cautious person, and I want to make sure that we understand the full magnitude of the challenge. Has there been impact? Of course there has been. Has it been significant? Yes. Um, what that looks like precisely, we still need to look at um, some other data that just hasn't come in yet. Right. But you've said that the last, 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 last resort is property tax increase at a time when individuals and businesses will have trouble paying yes. the bills that they're coming in. And you've said the second to last is furloughs and layoffs, which have a debilitating, demoralizing effect on the workforce. So where will yes. you turn first to fill this <clears throat> gap? Well, we're looking at um, a lot of different options. Um, uh, we have to understand, and we don't know this yet, what relief or if any additional we're going to get from the federal government. Um, I think that's a, a big, important determining factor. Um, as you're also aware, the Federal Reserve um, has opened up uh, a potential uh, borrowing for municipalities like um, Chicago. We're still uh, working with them to understand uh, what that uh, possibility uh, would look like. Um, and we're in dialogue with our rating agencies as well to look at different um, scenarios. So this is still very fluid. Uh, once we have a better handle on it, uh, we'll know. We obviously also have to understand uh, what the impact is going to be on revenues that we receive from the state. And we don't know that yet either. So there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of variables. Um, but obviously, um, there has been significant impact. So where will you turn first? Do you have any clue in terms of where you would turn first for revenue? Well, there's there's lots of different options. Um, I don't want to get ahead of uh, myself, and I don't want to get ahead of my finance team. Um, we're looking at a range of different options um, and looking at a lot of different scenarios, you know, best case, um, intermediate case, and worst case. So once we have a better handle on that, we'll absolutely uh, put that out for public view. Can you say what some of the different options are that wouldn't un unfairly 
and inordinately burden the same people that are suffering so badly right now? Well, look, the reality is, is that when a city um, has to have revenue, it's going to impact someone. Um, and probably someone's plural. So, um, we're, but we're, we're doing this in the same way that we um, balanced our budget last year uh, with looking at efficiencies that we can um, gain um, internally first. Um, I still uh, believe that you can't go out and talk to the taxpayers about sacrifice if you're not making um, common sense um, uh, sacrifices in within the city government. So we're looking at those options as well. Um, and then we're looking at a range of uh, potential one, uh, revenue generating options. Look, the reality is, is that I don't think there's any city budget across the country where you're not going to have to look at some one-time um, measures uh, to put yourself um, back on track. Um, we like to avoid those um, in this administration, um, but the truth is that we're probably going to have to look at those as well, given the magnitude um, of the challenge that we're facing, not only to make sure that we're steady for uh, 2020, but looking uh, to 2021 and beyond. Would that include a property tax increase? Uh, as I said, again, Property tax um, increase um, is always the last choice, um, but it's particularly the last choice in this environment where people are really, really suffering. I mean, you know this, the number of landlords um, that are um, worried about foreclosure, the number of renters that are worried about being able to make, make their rent. If we raise property taxes, that has a cascading effect through the whole ecosystem on landlords and on renters at a time when neither can afford it. So that is a last, last resort in the middle of this incredible economic crisis. Under the governor's plan, there won't be any conventions in Chicago until there's a vaccine or widespread <clears throat> treatment. What do you do with McCormick Place and all of its employees in the meanwhile? Well, look, <clears throat> I appreciate um, what the governor's concerns are, and obviously having large-scale gatherings in this environment where we're still seeing an increase in cases um, is something that seems um, difficult to fathom. But I also know that none of us has a crystal ball, and it's important for us to be guided by the science and the modeling um, here and now. I think about where we were in March. We were worried about a catastrophic surge of cases that could crush uh, our healthcare system. Luckily, that didn't happen. And in fact, we didn't see the huge spike in hospitalizations and a huge peak um, in cases. We've seen something different. Um, because this virus um, really still, the scientists don't understand it entirely. It has a lots of twists and turns. Um, I think it's difficult for us to predict multiple months out, let alone sometime next year. So we're going to stay very focused in the here and now. We, of course, we'll look ahead, but we're going to look ahead only as far as the science and the data and the modeling will allow us to do. The Chicago Public Schools, this has been in many ways a lost year for them. Uh, the strike in a hard and year. now this. Yeah, unbelievable. Really unbelievable. Very hard year. We, ha we have the possibility <clears throat> that this might have to extend this remote learning at least into the into the fall. Have you thought about how CPS could reopen and how you would do it? Would you use the shuttered public schools to to keep students away from each other? Would you stagger the school week or the school day? 
what do you whatever what are your thoughts on that? Well, we are thinking about that, um, and uh, Dr. Jackson and Dr. McDade um, and their respective teams have been thinking about uh, the fall now for some time. And um, while I'm grateful that we've been able to do um, some semblance of remote, remote learning, students need their teachers. When you see the pictures of, there's one that I'll, I'll never forget, of a um, of an elementary school teacher who literally drove to her student's house, sat in the driveway, social distancing, but reading the young girl a book. I mean, that's, that's what teachers do. They are tough and dedicated and empathetic. And particularly our youngest kids, they need that touch. They need that social emotional learning. And, and the best way that they can get that is being in a classroom with their peers. Now, again, Obviously, we have to do that in a way that is smart and safe, not only for the children, but also for the entire school um, community, the teachers, the janitors, the lunchroom cooks. But I can envision a world, by, but certainly by the start of school in September, that we can do that. Now, there's a lots of different options that are on the table, having alternate days, kind of a platoon uh, circumstance, really limiting uh, the number of kids that are in a classroom at any given time. And all, we're looking at a range of different options. But my goal is to reopen schools in the fall. But would you need, for example, to use some of the closed buildings? You know, they may come in handy. Well, first of all, there are not that many closed buildings left. I think there's a misnomer out there. You know, people think there's like 30-something closed buildings. There's there's no now at this point only um, a small handful. And as you also know, across CPS, there are some schools that are crowded, and we have to have a plan for that. But there's also a lot of schools that are underutilized. So, um but, you know, we're going to look at this um, area by area, school by school, and, and come up with a plan, you know, socialize it, obviously, with the entire um, CPS community, uh, particularly um, our students um, and our parents. Um, but we're only going to do something if we can do it safely. But I'm, I, so I really use, worry. Would you use I, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, Go ahead. I really worry about particularly our youngest of children, it's so critically important that they get the right start. And that's hard to do for them when you're talking about remote learning. Right. So would you maybe use some of the other buildings, maybe community centers? If a school is too crowded, could you use another building maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think what we've shown over the course of this pandemic is that we're we're very flexible and I think innovative. If you've looked at, for example, what we've done um, to decompress um, our homeless shelters, we've used a lot of other options uh, to do that. Um, and so I think we've got to think creatively about the space, of course. Um, we've got to think about um, how many uh, people are in the schools at a time. But just like with other parts of our our city, uh, we have to listen to the teachers, to the principals, uh, to the students and their parents, the whole school community, and invite them to be creative and thinking about ways in which we can reopen schools in the fall and do it safely um, based upon where we are in the arc of this virus. 
Do you expect city colleges to receive an influx of students whose parents can no longer afford the four-year colleges? Um, that's certainly a, that's certainly a possibility. I think there's a lot of speculation among um, graduating seniors and um, their parents about what college looks like in the fall. And um, as you know, many most colleges across the country shut down for their spring semester, and students did um, you know e-learning. I think a lot of schools are still trying to figure out what the world is going to look like for them this fall. I've also heard a lot of seniors thinking about, well, maybe I'll take a gap year um, because, you know, the uncertainty around that. So I think there's a lot of different options on the table when it comes to colleges and universities. You're approaching your first year anniversary with a pandemic that will literally define your <laughs> tenure. Isn't that amazing? Yes. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, you you de you declared war on poverty and vowed to eradicate it within a generation before this pandemic exacerbated poverty. And here you yes. are at this very moment. What are your thoughts about that? Um, what are my thoughts about the poverty or in general? No, no, about, about your first year anniversary. And at this time, as you preside over this extraordinary time in Chicago's history. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's been a hell of a year. Um, nobody comes into office thinking that they're going to have to deal with a pandemic before they even um, hit their one year anniversary. And I certainly didn't have that expectation. Um, and it's been a humbling experience. It's been um, energizing to see how Chicagoans of every stripe have really risen uh, to the occasion, not only to help themselves, but help their neighbors. When I think about um, food insecurity, when I think about seniors who um, need just that human voice on the other side of the phone, I mean, we have people doing really extraordinary things all across the city, and that gives me great energy. But as you said, the vulnerabilities of our city, poverty, um, the uh, lack of access to health care, um, disparities um, in investment, in jobs, in the economy. Those vulnerabilities ha are flashing like a neon sign every single day. And so, yes, I did declare that I want to eradicate poverty um, in a generation, and I still have uh, that goal. But what this pandemic has done for those issues um, is meant that we've got to speed up the work. We don't have the time to be um, to contemplate and think great thoughts. We've got to dig in, and that's precisely what we've done. And as I've said to my team over and over again, when we face these challenges, when we've looked at the disparities that have shown that um, black people in the city are dying at an absolutely unfathomably high rate. And now we're seeing um, this huge surge in cases in the Latinx community. We have to dig in. We have to work with trusted community partners and voices, but we can't build temporary scaffolding to solve these problems. We've got to build relationships and a foundation on which we can um, do this work into the future, whether there's a pandemic or not. And that's very, very clear to me. And it's hard work. You know, I'm not going to say that there haven't been days where I've shed a tear. I have. Um, I've wept um, for the loss. I've wept for the hardship that so many people um, are suffering. But I know that they rely upon me to stand up 
pick myself up and get back into the fight every single day. And so this year has been a different year than I would have predicted. Um, but I wouldn't trade any second of it except for the loss of life, not just from the pandemic, but the loss of life for gun violence. That still haunts me. Yeah, you've been through a ton this year. You endured a teacher strike. You fired a police superintendent and hired a new one. You struggled to get a handle on gang and gun <laughs> violence. You erased an $838 million deficit. You had the demolition debacle in Little Village. When you look back on it all, what do you remember most? What mistakes do you think you might have made? What do you regret? Well, I mean, what what, what I what I think about is um, that there's a lot that needed to be done. I walked into office with a huge stack of to-dos that were left by the prior administration. And I don't mean to cast aspersions because I don't. You play the hand that you're dealt. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And the good thing is that through this incredible experience of a pandemic, there have been relationships and partnerships, not just between the city and others, but amongst uh, people that didn't exist before that are now going to are there. They're going to be true and they're going to endure, whether it's hospitals working cooperatively together. You know, in the, in the normal world, hospitals are competitors with each other. This pandemic has forced them to work co- cooperatively together. And we've seen some remarkable things as a result of that collaboration. You know, the food Any pantries, regrets that you, you have know, when you look back, when you look back on the year, though, <clears throat> do you do you, do you regret anything? Do you feel like, gee, I wish I would have done that a little differently? I, doesn't everybody? <clears throat> look, there's there's always things that, with the benefit of hindsight, you think, okay, I could make some adjustments here, adjustments there. Of course, I'm a human being. Um, I think that, but I feel very good and comfortable of what we've been able to accomplish, the relationships that we've been able to build. You know, we were we were we had great plans uh, for this year. Um, and so I regret that some of those have been delayed. Um, others, um, we're starting to pick back up where we left off uh, before, you know, the pandemic really sapped, I think, all of our focus um, on containment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, some things are going to uh, be slower to be able to get done. Um, other things are even more urgent now uh, than before. But I, you know, I'm a person who tries to learn. I'm very, um, I'm very checked in with who I am, the what my personality is, what my strengths and my weaknesses are, um, and I constantly ask myself how I can do better, always, every single day. And I assume you're worried again about a violent summer. Especially with all the frustration. I I never have that. I never not have that worry. Let me say it in the affirmative. I constantly have a worry about violence in the city. We've had we had a tough January, tough February. We had a little bit of a lull in March, and then April was tough. We finished April fine, but you know we had five um, um, homicides overnight. This is this is a huge huge challenge. And trying to do policing in the middle of a pandemic, there's no playbook for that. When you think about the fact that the courts are effectively closed, the jail is closed, our federal partners that we rely upon are at home, 
and not doing not doing what they normally do from a criminal justice standpoint. Our Chicago Police Department is standing effectively alone. And guess what? They're human beings. They've been getting sick. Some have died. And so trying to figure out how you police in this really difficult environment is a challenge of a lifetime. Uh, you know, I, I joke with uh, with David uh, Brown the other day. I called and said, I hope you're not heading back to Dallas. I mean, this is a tough environment, really tough. So and yet, are you worried I have to, that give, I have to give my hat off to, to the men and women who put on the uniform every single day and go out into our communities and work their tails off to bring safety. So are you worried about a pent-up summer, you know, where, where this tension, the unemployment, the poverty that, that, that has been brought upon by this pandemic just explodes? Well, I, I think we're seeing some of the manifestations of that right now. You know, it, it, summer is, is an artificial barrier. Um, yes, of course, um, when we fully open, although I think that will be some time down the road. But we're seeing manifestations of it right now. We know, for example, from um, recent history that when people in certain crime plague na- neighborhoods gather in large crowds on the street, that is an invitation for some crazed person to shoot and fire and without any regard. And we've seen that already this year. So I worry about that every single day. And of course, what I worry about in terms of violence is when people feeling like their their liberty is back, they're going to be out. Crime isn't stopping. It didn't stop in January or February. It hasn't stopped at any point this year. This is really, really challenging. And then, as I said before, where we don't have all the other infrastructure that we rely upon um, to keep um, keep our city safe, our other partners in the criminal justice system, it's really hard, very difficult. Mayor Lightfoot, uh, happy Mother's Day. Happy anniversary. Same to you. And, Same to and you. <laughs> not the kind of I hope you have a great celebration with your with your son and your family. Yes, and of course, I want to switch Father's Day and Mother's Day because we always get the shaft weather-wise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I Can think this year, that? you know, I'm feeling I'm feeling a little a little sad because it's it's uh, been since Christmas since I've seen physically seen my mom, so I'm feeling a little sad about that. I talk to her almost every day, um, but as you know, there's a difference between talking over the phone and being physically uh, present. And, you know, my mom's 91, and I cherish every day that she's here, um, but I'm I'm anxious to be able to, to get to Ohio to see her. Well, I hope you do soon. And stay safe out there and stay tough. <laughs> Thank you. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs> 